Hello and welcome to another episode and another year of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob coming to you from the, they still have places like this in 2020, Winchester Building in the downtown Metropolis area. And uh, this is our, <laughs> why are you smiling? This is our first show. They still the... have places like this in 2020. <laughs> Come on, you've seen Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, so much into the future. Ooh. Well, this is our first show of the new year, 2020. You know what? It, 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 it still feels very much like last year, doesn't it? It does. It has that last year's feel like there are still things that are unfinished that need to be finished. <laughs> <laughs> yes, your plan to... Uh... Anyways... <laughs> Um, on our first episode of the year, which is this. Oh, I was going to check something, but I forgot. You can check next week. I'm going to, no, I can't check next week. I have to check when we actually came on the, when we did the, first did the show, because this could be our first anniversary (laughs) show and I wouldn't even know it. Uh, I'm going to check, I'm going to check when I hand Rob over to you people for three minutes. So as he describes his, uh, bathroom. Nope, work. Work okay. We're not gonna do. Not I was gonna, at work. We're not gonna we have, let Rob describe uh, his we bathroom activities. One of the nice, ba- <laughs> nicest bathrooms at work, and the thing about having a nice bathroom at work is you gotta keep it that way, or they throw you out. Anyways, as I was saying, on our first episode of the year, and throughout this whole month, we will be looking at albums released in the month of January in the 1970s, regarded as you know, Rob, as one of the slowest months. Uh, ever for new releases ever well people were still celebrating yeah well no well there was the christmas thing you know you you push out all your albums for christmas so people buy them for gifts and in january it's like you push out nothing but there are so many classic albums maybe not now not maybe not in the last i don't know 20 30 years but people didn't care. It just seemed in the 60s and 70s about when they released albums because there are so many, as I checked, so many classic, unbelievable albums released in the month of January. And uh, it is regarded as a, an unbelievably slow month, at least in the last 20 or 25 years or so. Um, so we're going to look at some incredible releases uh, in January in the 70s um some of the biggest and most acclaimed albums of all time have been released in this month and we have one today today we scared you with that one eh? yeah today. i was thinking um, when when <laughs> <laughs> uh we're going to review the 1970 album by simon and Gifink. oh simon and garfunkel simon simon and and artie uh, Bridget, Simon. That would have been a good name, Simone Anati. Simone Anati. I think that, yeah, when they go to France, that's on their <laughs> Simone and Anati. The Jerry Lewis of duos. Uh, Simon and Garfunkel, Bridge Over Troubled Water. Uh, actually, one of the very first albums released in the decade. One I, of the very first I, 1970 I, albums. I checked Discogs there, and it's got all the uh, different releases in different countries there, and there's like, you know, uh, a thousand of them or so. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all listed as a 1970 release, except uh, one of them in the U.S. is uh, listed as a 69 release. Well, that's a lot of bo. Bokaka? Yeah. Okay. Since it wasn't released, I don't know, unless it's a, a, 
I don't know how that happened. some weird precursor uh, a test they album were still to find out working the... on the album up until this is really weird. I I did check this. They were still working up on the album in January of 1970. <laughs> so then somebody lost right up until almost they released. So somebody just put in the wrong date. Sorry, Rob. Oh, you can't um, trust anyone these days. I don't trust you. You don't trust me. First. <laughs> <laughs> we want to get you prepared for what we have coming up this year on our show. We got Rob. We got so many things coming up this year. I, I don't know what we're going to. do. So many things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, today to me feels like a, a day where all the things are done and uh, we can just uh, go out in, uh, in the playground and uh, ride the merry-go-round, uh, go down to the uh, the slide. So these are some of the things <laughs> we already have planned for the new year. We will review albums of the 1970s and do segments that have something in common with the 1970s. 1970s. Just kidding. We do that already. <laughs> you guys. Okay. So what's up? <laughs> something new? One of the first things we are doing is something that Jill suggested. Jill rocks. Which is even less Rob on the show. <laughs> yeah, Jill, this Jill rock now. She wants more, less Rob on the show and more Gary and trying to get Rob to just agree with me and not uh, chime in with his silly and pointless personal comments. You don't think I want to be the one in the uh, control booth snoozing right now? <laughs> More uptown, Mike. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> somebody's somebody's going to fill his spot after he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, oh, we will have chicken fights on Friday nights. Okay. Oh, no, sorry. That's a personal item, not for the show. <laughs> I will be having chicken fights, uh, which, by the way, are illegal, but uh, <laughs> we will give a secret code every show so that you know where to go for the chicken fights. Okay, we got to differentiate here because when I was growing up, chicken fights involved like uh, one kid getting another kid's back and then uh, another couple kids, they'd fight until one fell over. No, we're talking about... Uh, Fights that uh, involve it's chickens. Used, uh, the uh, it's it, it's another word for penis fights. Okay. Yes. No, because chickens don't fight. They're the female. You want to get the males, so that's a another word for penis fight. Oh, that's another word for vagina <laughs> fight. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd be really confused. A vagina fight. Wow. Where can I get that on my porn? So. <laughs> So, what? <laughs> uh, we should edit that out. But we uh, it's a mental picture. I'm show. getting a mental picture right now, and I'm going, we got a gold mine here. <laughs> the mental picture I'm getting involves sounds. <laughs> Maybe lesbians have uh, vagina fights. I don't know. Uh, one of our big new segments is we are, are dressing our producer, Uptown Mike, in women's clothes. And have him try and pick up guys on the street, and then when they get really, uh, let's say, motivated, <laughs> then Mike tells them he's a man, and then let the fun and laughter ensue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited about that episode. I have to tell Mike about that. Remember, at the end of the show, Rob? I'm sure a lot of the fellows will they'll take it with a good sense of humor. Well, let's hope so, because also, we will be dressing up Rob as a woman. <laughs> and have him pick up guys on the street, and then he tells them he's really a man, and again, watch the fun and laughter ensue. That's going to be hilarious. <laughs> uh, I just, oh, yeah. I'll be picking up a lot of blind guys. 
for the And mic. then <laughs> I will be dressed as me <laughs> and join in as part of the unruly gang who is so mad about the on-purpose deception of Uptown Mike and Rob. And we start chasing both of them down the street, just like a Benny Hill episode. Oh, okay. I was thinking pitchforks and torches. But... <laughs> 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 That'd be one of those hallway scenes where there's lots of doors, and you're running in the doors and out the doors, oh, and you yeah, come out doors you shouldn't be in. And somebody takes your bra off or whatever. Hey, you, know? you run out the door and realize you're running around, and then you run backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarity. So look for that this year. And it hasn't been done enough. Uh, we will also have our Man on the Street segment where we will send Mr. Winchester out on the street with a microphone and a bad <laughs> attitude <laughs> and have him ask random people about the 70s and music and pet rocks and shit like that. You understand that's an atrocious idea. <laughs> oh, I, I, have not, I have not passed this. Uh, by Mr. Winchester yet. Okay. But he's a good sport. I think he'll like it. <laughs> he'll go for it. I, I just I just see a lot of fights on the street. <laughs> he gets he gets tired of sitting at home count, <laughs> counting his money. Man, I see a lot of fights on the street. Don't you? <laughs> Man. Quite a few. Usually uh, as I passed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do plan to have, and I say this all the time, but this year. Guess. We're going to have... <laughs> you know that <laughs> we're gonna have guests this year in fact we will have foster I, brooks i guess i know it because it's not a new plan on an episode <laughs> at the end of the month if you remember uh, our christmas episode which mm. seemed to happen in december we had santa foster foster got bumped from the show because we ran out of time and we had santa and we had santa you got but foster, we will you make got santa. plenty of time for him when he returns to the show and Rob, there's a good chance he will tell jokes acting extremely drunk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so long as he doesn't knock over any of the equipment, I guess. I guess that's okay. Uh, in fact, I think telling jokes while he's extremely drunk is the only thing he does. <laughs> <laughs> you do a thing well, stick with it. <laughs> stick with it for fifty years and tell your dad. See, I told you. <laughs> So we're going to have all of that and much more. It will be a year when people say, you know, those guys, those guys. Those guys we love so much. They sure know how to put a lot of stuff into a show, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> they don't spend the first 10 or 15 minutes of the show just going over stuff they think they might do. <laughs> They're doors, not thinkers. They're doors. They, they, when they, oh, man. <laughs> I like that. I'm just breezing through here. We're only 13 minutes into the show, and uh, it's because I haven't interrupted kind enough. Kind of, uh, kind of halfway through. You know, I, <laughs> I think this year I'm going to start interrupting more. You know what? We're going to delay email just for a little bit because we're ahead of time. Okay. I want to. I want to. I want to do something that uh, some people would call crazy. No, some people would call this crazy, and I'm sorry. Some people would. Some people would say this is a time waster. This is not a time waster. Some people would say, hey, <laughs> what you're doing now is just filling the gap. You're wasting my wasting time. Wasting their time. And I, I'm insulted by that. Now, I am not doing that. What I'm doing is I'm going to be in a few moments, hopefully 10, bringing up a subject which we all should care about. It's important to you. <laughs> it's important 
to me. And if it's important to me, it should be important to everybody because it concerns all of us. It concerns our New Year's Eve party. Remember the New Year's Eve party we had at the Winchester building? That was something. I remember the first part of it, but then I got drunk. Remember what Shuggy did with that banana? Holy smokes. <laughs> I only heard the stories the day after. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just Surprise say, it. poor banana. He had to clean mm. up after himself. <laughs> yeah, we had a little bit of a uh, shindig at the uh, Winchester building on the uh, 31st of December. It was wacky. It, it was wacky. Jill was there as everybody in the uh, Uptown Mike, I think, was there. I, there. I think he dressed as a woman. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you wouldn't have known him unless uh, you took him home. Yes, and Shuggy did go home with the woman, and uh, Shuggy was he so, hasn't talked about. He it was since. so drunk. He was drunk, and well, he did the banana thing. Oh yeah, that's right. I don't know if we have any listeners left because I've been really. <laughs> this is not killing time because we did have a New Year's party, but uh, I didn't. I didn't plan on talking about it this week. But this, uh, this is killing my hangover. Killing my hangover. I, you know, there are some weeks that I swear to God, I write so much stuff that I think it hurts this is going to be like an hour and a half. <laughs> Holy smokes, this is so much stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, 15 minutes when it's supposed to be 30 minutes. Oh, isn't that nice? I, so many times when I write stuff, I take a timer and I just kind of read it out. And I'm always astounded at, at how much less I've written than uh, what I thought I did. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you wrote four pages and it turned out to be uh, uh, four paragraphs. Jeez, I can't fill a whole half hour like this. Oh, I give up. Okay. <laughs> that was a good story. Okay, so uh, let's let's do the one thing that we will actually... never change on this show. Which is email. Email? I like email. I like email. You, you like, like email. email. We all like, like email. email. Damn, it gets better every time we do it. Dead air. I was taking a drink and Rob wasn't covering for me. Okay, today's email. It's not a good show today so far. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, had a, we had a snapping, excellent, once-in-a-lifetime great Christmas show. And uh, yeah, we come but back. Like I say, I feel it's all uh, it's done, and we can relax now. Yeah, yeah, we can start to get serious next show. But this is the first show of January. Well, we, we took a two-week break, and if it kind of sucks, then uh, you know what? We yeah. gave we gave 150 percent on our Christmas show, so we can only give 50 percent today. We ain't got no sparkle left. Oh man, we gotta so, go get some new sparkle. <laughs> if that shows you that we're not on today, <laughs> but that last comment, oh man. So today's email. <laughs> Is from Amy Fru. Amy Fru, how do you do? Um, That's a musical name. <laughs> it is. I love that. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I just love that. Amy Fru, what can I do to you? Uh, <laughs> Better than Susie Cream, she is what's going to do. Why do people even write in emails when they know we're going to have fun with their name? But I, I still like that people write them in, but we're not going to try, we're going to try, we're not making fun, it's just, you know, we're just having a laugh, not at your expense, because we don't mean anything mean by it, but we're just, it's a cool name, I think, I think the names are actually cool that we have on here, so, anyways, we don't mean to insult anybody, don't stop writing letters and just because we make fun of your name and you may be a goof, I mean, here we, we, okay, we don't know where Amy is from, 
because she either forgot to send that information in or she didn't want us to know we can... in, in case Rob and I decided to pay her a visit to say hello <laughs> and other stuff. Like we did with Jill. Oh, now Jill's part of the team. <laughs> She's with us. So, Stop Robert, yes. could you tell us what Amy's question is? And this, by the way, is the first email question I don't know if I can or not, but I'm going to give it a try. Oh, I, uh, oh you know what, Rob? <laughs> she before, writes. <laughs> before, before you read that, uh, I wanted to just say that this is... And maybe a rehearsal would have been a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> this is our first email of the year. Oh, I said that already. Okay. So here we go. This is Amy's email. Amy writes in uh, this particular question. She says... Hey, Gary and Rob, I just read that it is the 40th anniversary of London Calling by The Clash in December of 2019. Will you be reviewing that album, even though it is so close to being an 80s album? Ooh, that's a good question. I wanted to keep reading, but I stopped. Um, the Clash. I need to know more. Oh, they're a band from England. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One of the members went on to be in Culture Club. I'm not going to go all the way through that, but I will tell you that uh, I actually thought about this all, even before we did our first episode. I was thinking one of the albums I wanted to do was London Calling because it was such a... You are a visionary. Thank you. <laughs> it was such a pivotal point in my life, but in, in, in it was also a pivotal point in in all my friends' lives when we went to school, like everybody loved London Calling. It was like, oh my God, it was such a cultural statement. But I've always felt that it was a a start of the 80s album to me. Uh, it was I'm never, gonna... it didn't have a 70s feel to it. Yeah. Even though it was recorded okay. in the 70s, it didn't have, to me, I always felt like it was a, a 1980, 81 album. It just had that feel to it. And plus, I guess that that comes from the fact that all the songs being played on the radio were played in 1980 like it all sold and because it was released first of all it actually was released in north america in january of 1980 and it was released in december of 1979 in england and maybe europe all of europe i don't know so they always call it like a late 1979 album but it never really hit until 1980 and, and even then it's got to get some radio play and start to pick up some steam because uh... yeah and exactly because you know usually albums don't all of a sudden drop and then oh it's yeah crazy. it's only very rarely like uh, maybe a band that's done a really incredible previous album that everyone's filled with anticipation. yeah i remember the stones used to do that when the stones released an album it was big news weeks before it was even released yeah. and then it was went to number one right away and that, that's <laughs> That's different. And The Clash were pretty... The Clash weren't... They'd only released two albums, and they were big cultural-wise, but not like, oh, they released an album, we got to buy it, especially a two-record set. I'm guessing you didn't hear too much of this on AM radio. And, uh, yeah, you didn't hear... You didn't or even hear FM radio. Anything. You didn't hear anything, really, from The Clash too much on FM or AM radio back in the day because uh, you just didn't. They were pretty hardcore. And I don't mean like their music was hardcore, but it wasn't exactly the kind of music that would play next to like uh captain Tennille <laughs> or something yep. like that. these guys were still uh, gaining acceptance 
Now, for a long time, I was considering actually doing the album because it was such a cultural milestone and it was recorded in the 70s. But to be honest with you, I, I can't do it because even though I don't think it breaks any rules because it is technically released in both 1979 and 1980, I just don't feel that it's a 1970s album. When I think of 1970s, I think of like, uh, yes, <laughs> And and uh, Led Zeppelin, and I don't think of the Clash for some reason. I think of the Clash as at least in this yeah. album. You know, this album is what I'm talking not the, not because not the previous. One. I just think of this album as very 1980s. It is to me, and there's a it hurts because there's a lot of stories. There's a lot of great stories about this album that we would like to do, but I just can't do it. And to me, of course, I think it's the White Album of the 80s. After we've been through all the 1970s albums that were ever released. We're going to start a new show called Sounds of the 80s. And then... In the year 21. <laughs> I hope we have room on our little uh, electronic thing. Well, that was uh, that a good question, Amy. That was a very good question. Uh, uh, we will be sending you nothing for reading that question because we're cheap bastards. So and we have know. nothing. But we are going to give you our love. Because that's what we all that we have really is our love. That's right, and soon we won't even have that. <laughs> <laughs> and if you give us our your address, we could give you a lot of love in person. If you, <laughs> if you could give some love back, ah, oh, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I underwrote the show. I'm sorry, people. I did. Sometimes I do that. That's because it's mm. New Year's. It's You've New expended Year's. all your emotional and uh, the intellectual energy during the holidays. Mm. Now is the time to. Burn off those calories. Burn off those calories at the expense <laughs> of our listeners. Uh, remember to send all They're your doing the same thing. all your questions and whatever to sounds from the seventies at gmail.com. Remember sounds from the seventies at gmail.com. You like that? I like that when I can I pause there for dramatic effect. Remember for like the first twenty shows, I uh uh didn't even give them the address. Oh yeah. <laughs> Until you said every okay. show, hey, why don't you give the email address? Oh, that's a good idea. I gotta write that down. <laughs> <laughs> so um Rob, yeah, before we get into the uh show. We got something fun. Oh, to do. we got the show. Before we get into the review of the Simon and Garfunk Club, could you tell me something really quick about work? Because I hear something happened at work that was just Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting laid off. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's I like that. That's funny. Now, you're bumming everybody out. Now, just tell them the good part about it. Bumming them out? <laughs> Every year, I sit there waiting, watching other guys undeserving of being laid off, getting laid off, and I got to keep working. I'm tired of it. It's got to end. There, now that's bumming everybody out. Oh, okay, we did. Well, okay, we got we got another. Uh, That'll get you writing for next week. We got until next week's show. Next week's show is, but you know what? Next week's show will actually be our first anniversary. That's when we had our first episode. But we're going to wait and celebrate it on our fiftieth episode, and we're going to celebrate both at the same time and. This is our 47th or something. So next week will be... This is number 47. So next week will be 48. So we'll celebrate it in three weeks. And uh, we've got so many stories to tell you. I'm bringing beer for our 50th. Oh, yeah. And Foster Brooks will be (laughs) (laughs) just by chance on our 50th episode. 
So we're excited. I just wanted to check that. Sorry, because uh, I was supposed to check it before, but we're really kind of out of sync today. So, but we're not out of sync, sync well, when it comes to Simon and Garfunkel. No, we're in sync. We're like a groove. I gotta do groove. this again. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Simon and Garfunkel. I, everybody knows Simon and Garfunkel. Um, they started That's as, what I was gonna as schoolboys. As I was gonna say, how long has Ryman Simon been doing his thing? Since the late fifties, they actually formed as uh, Tom and Jerry. They thought that that was a hip kind of thing name to have <laughs> as a duo, kind of playing, uh, you know, the kind of fifties thing. And they had a couple of singles out, and in fact, they were even on American Bandstand. Tom and Jerry. As Tom and Jerry. Unfortunately, that. Uh, episode is uh it no got longer a, it got erased it got erased i think dick clark said hey man that's uh, that's nice but uh <laughs> no one's gonna remember this <laughs> <laughs> but you two are losers uh i think uh dick clark said that quite often uh to actually didn't like he said you two well my and a group you guys are losers get anyway. the hell out of here <laughs> and then they kind of uh like they graduated from high school in 1958 and uh, then they went to college and, you know, time went by. And then they decided to uh, pick it up again after college, about 63. And uh, it was good to have that thing to fall back on. 64. And then they released, uh, I'm going to just go really quickly here. Then they released their debut album, all folk album, uh, Wednesday morning, 3 a.m. in 1964. And uh, it uh, didn't sell very well. And they kind of broke up. Um, and Paul Simon went to England for about a year or two, 1964, 1965. You wanted to capture that swing in London thing, man. That was just starting to break. Yes. And he wanted to play the clubs down there and and kind of do that thing. So Simon and Garfunkel will not. Now, this is interesting because Simon and Garfunkel were, were no more at that point didn't have any plans really to get together and yet this is one of these miraculous things that a weird point in time fate comes in just like just like when everybody all the record companies had uh uh rejected the beatles uh and even emi rejected the beatles and then they gave it to, to George Martin and they, he, they said, well, what do you think? And then, you know, he was, if it wasn't for George Martin, they wouldn't have got signed and there would be no Beatles, but that's not mm. what fate had in mind. Rock you know? would have died. And We'd... Simon and Garfunkel is the same thing because if it wasn't for the legendary Tom Wilson, the producer of the, of oh, so many bands of Velvet Underground, he produced Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone uh produced uh frank zappa's uh and the mothers of inventions freak out uh legendary producer if he hadn't decided to put electric instruments and he didn't do it with anybody's permission really except for i think columbia records who wanted just wanted to see what it sounded like they wanted to know they wanted to catch on that folk rock vibe that see was where happening. it was going see where it was going so he added electric instruments and a backing to the sound of silence and they released it and you know paul simon was in england 
And he, they said, you better get back here because this song. Something's is, happening. Something's happening, man. And you got to come back. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, Paul Simon could have went into obscurity. He could have went because he did release a solo album in England that didn't do anything. And he could have just been another folk musician that never, you know, maybe sold copies as a cult artist. But, you know, Simon and Garfield may never have gotten together, back together. And and, and Paul Simon may never have had the solo career he had if it wasn't for one guy. Just like with the Beatles, if it wasn't for George Martin, you know. It's, you know, I don't, you know, Simon and Garfunkel kind of changed the world, but the Beatles really did change the world. And uh, it's just amazing how these little, one, one little thing happens uh, in fate to kind of change everything. So they came back. So Paul Simon came back and Simon and Garfunkel were an act again. And then they, of course, they recorded albums and albums of, well, four, <laughs> four or five, I can't remember. Um, and, um, but the relationship, as we, we all kind of know, was eh, it was very, very love-hate. <laughs> right. Were they like fist-fighting in the studio? No, but there was... I am I have to admit, going into this album, I'm not a big Paul Simon fan, personally. <laughs> I've kind of read things, and uh, there's the ultra-famous or infamous uh, Graceland episode. Well, first of all, I don't really want to get too much into this. Uh, I'll get into this when we actually do a Paul Simon album. But I, Paul Simon is very, and I shouldn't blame this on Paul Simon, but he's very ego-driven, very career-driven. And uh, sometimes you leave people in, you don't think about other people when you're doing your stuff. And I don't know if he's a I try not to. I don't know if he's a bad guy, but he has done some pretty shitty things in his life. And uh, I could actually name quite a few if I actually, which would just be like, you know, seriously, if I actually sat down and did my fact checking and I could come up with probably at least seven or eight really shitty things he has done, that's a public record. And, uh, but that's just, that doesn't, that doesn't deter from the music. You know what I mean? Like no, no. me doing that. I remember you talking about Miles Davis. Um, oh, Miles Davis was uh, uh, was, was <clears throat> notorious for. I mean, Miles Davis was a pimp. Miles Davis beat women. Miles Davis was a drug addict. Like, uh, and uh, like we talked about this, but we talked about this but the music. with Miles Davis about how he did things, and a lot of them were because he was strung out on heroin, and you don't. Uh, not that's not an excuse. It's we went through this whole happened, thing, but yeah, it's yeah. just what happened. And he was also notorious for just having a really bad temper. But the music is such genius that you have to leave the music alone. And you know what? Paul Simon may be a really good guy, but he's just made some career things. And sometimes you do things, especially when you're a musician, that you wouldn't do as a regular person in regular day life. You know what I mean? Right. Like. You just kind of say, oh, you know. See, a big question in my mind when I make a decision to do something is, uh, okay, after I do this, uh, do I still have to live with people or not? And it seems to me if you're in a position of um, uh, financial security, uh, everything set, uh, that becomes less of a question. You know, but that's a good point in what we're talking about. Because 
he would always he would always kind of like do shitty things like things behind art's back or whatever but he always knew hey i write the songs just like you were talking about like hey i got yeah yeah, yeah, i don't i don't need art garfunkel so i'm gonna do what i do and if he doesn't like it that's tough shit because i write the songs i can sing them he sings them really good but i also sing them really good as been proven by a solo career um so the the album bridge over troubled water was really a very fraught album from the very beginning first of all it was supposed to be recorded in early 1969 and then art garfunkel wanted well he got the acting job in catch 22. Catch 23. and that was supposed to be a couple months worth of filming and that ended up being nine months worth of filming <laughs> leaving paul simon doing nothing much, for nine months pretty much yeah twiddling his thumbs for for nine months and getting pretty pissed off and understandably and the funny the funny ironic part is that paul simon was supposed to be in catch 22 but um mike nichols didn't like the part that was written for him so it actually might have all worked out in the end but again one person <laughs> made a choice <laughs> and it kind of reverberates you know how that, it's just funny how that one person who made the choice to put to put the electric instruments on the sound of silence changed everything for the good for both of them and mike nichols decision not to have paul well, simon's I'm... part so they could both be in, Mex- in the movie in Mex- i don't yeah it was mexico i think when they for the movie kind of broke them apart yeah i mean back in the 70s you didn't uh, hire cheech without chong why would you hire um art without paul um uh, seals without cross <laughs> yeah, seals without cross england dan without john ford coley <laughs> <laughs> logins without <Messina. laughs> a lot of duos uh, in the 70s there <laughs> were but you can get away with that one folk rock it's kind of a staple there so um yeah it was just it was you know paul had already pretty much decided this is going to be the last album he had things to do and and just that whole just that whole thing circulating and you know they weren't getting along they're very two very different very um opinionated people in the first place you don't have one guy who's just laid back you uh with a very laid back personality you got two people that are very dominant uh eight type very strong thoughts on yes. uh, what is they want to do and how things should be yeah. and it just it just really wasn't meant to be as far as it being a really long association i still think to me simon and garfunkel is uh much much more accessible to my ears than paul simon i'm not a big paul simon music fan i just find his i love like certain songs bookends by Simon and Garfunkel is a brilliant album. And one of my favorite Simon and Garfunkel album, Bookends. And it's, it doesn't get played a lot just because Simon and Garfunkel, I don't know, they just they just didn't have that same. Anash? Uh, yeah, because they were, they were very, they didn't have that, uh, as they say in Hollywood, that sexy thing, you know, oh, that group's, you know, that name thing where you yeah. go when you hear their name and you go, Hey, I'm a Simon and Garfunkel fan. Everybody goes, oh, that's nice. You know, not, it's not bad, but it's not cool. They were hip with the kids without being cool with the kids. They were hip with the college smart kids. Yeah, yeah more of the folkies. Yeah, more of the folkies. They weren't really rock the, and roll the, in that they didn't really play rock and roll. 
No. To be honest with you. And I'm going to be honest with you. This is not a rock and roll album. I only heard gu- electric guitar maybe twice. There's three songs <laughs> on this album that have some jump to them. Uh, the rest are more yeah. folk derivative. I agree. And uh, that's also why I don't think, you know, you're not asked to Woodstock. You're not. They did play Monterey Pop Festival, but mostly their reception in retrospect and maybe at the time was, that's nice. But they were quickly forgotten. Not many people remember that Simon and Garfunkel played. They were even in a movie and people still don't remember <laughs> that Simon because they would just play with just their... Come on and say there was no, um, uh, no fireworks. There was no smoke. Well, was it was no, just uh, Paul on guitar Godzilla. and Art singing, both of them singing. And mm-hmm. people were getting into, you know, the, the blues and yeah, uh, blues rock and everything. And, and I, I think the, the whole kind of cool culture was, was just eluding them in that album-oriented culture. That's why I say bookends is not for however classic that album is. It's never thought of as a first thought of all those great albums released in like that. 1968 69 you know bridge over troubled water is everybody uh says oh yeah bridge over troubled water's a classic and this album was like huge this album was like huge forever <laughs> i believe it it was like huge forever in fact it has sold to date 12 million copies worldwide which is astounding like 12 million if you're a writer like paul simon you could you could retire for twelve mm-hmm. lifetimes. <laughs> Fifty thousand albums is gold. Hundred thousand is platinum. I think. Uh, no, I think you're thinking. You know. Uh, hey, back in the Fifty-five. Oldest. I think five hundred thousand is. Five hundred thousand is gold. Now you're pissing me off. But there's certain <laughs> numbers. Because you always give me you always wrong give facts. Me wrong facts, and then if I agree <laughs> with you. And it's like, these guys don't know shit. <laughs> <laughs> there's a certain number that's gold, a certain number that's platinum, there's a certain number that's diamond, and uh, after 10 million, it's, uh, they don't have a scale for it. Yeah, but see, there's there's different... It uh, varies from country to country, it too. It varies, exactly. Yeah. Say, it varies from country <clears throat> to country. So I'm kind of thinking uh, American here, and well, let's leave that, because I just don't want to give the wrong... Thing. information but let's just say 12 million 12 million and i think that's platinum 12 times i'm not but that's just a i huge, think that's that's an insane that's amount of records enriched uranium man that's an insane amount of records but this album was just huge now oh as as we would get to the to the album and the, the music in it first thing that strikes me and i have heard this album before i mean i'm not a big Paul Simon fan, as I said, his music, his music, and I will get to this more when we talk about Paul Simon solo and we do his record, but his music, uh, first of all, it has a little bit of a mellow, it's not rock and roll. It don't reach out and grab you by the balls. It doesn't. It, it has that, he, he, do, he does a lot of that, and I'll just give a little bit of an example. Uh, he does a lot of that Fender Rhodes keyboard, and if you don't know what that is, it's like, it just sounds like very soothing. You'll hear it a fair bit on the uh, the soundtrack to uh, the Dirty Harry. There, yes, if you're a fan of the Dirty Harry movies, the, the I know the first one for sure. They use a lot of that. Uh, they, in fact, the Fender Rhodes almost called got called like the Dirty Harry <laughs> instrument because <laughs> it's all over the place. But it's very soothing. It's it's very it's it, it just reminds me of M.O.R. music. When, whenever a Fender Rhodes is played. Yeah, it, uh, you got you need a talented player to 
to give it some rock, to give it some jump. Uh, the, the Ray Charles and the Blues Brothers, he could do that, but uh, no one yeah, else. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. Very good point. Um, but it just it just has never done a lot. Of, I just find it, I'm sorry, I find his music, not so much with Simon and Garfunkel, because maybe Artie's there and he's singing, and but I find his music kind of cold, to be honest with you. And to me, unmoving. Except for songs, certain songs just yeah, I think lyrically certain songs grab, yeah. by him lyrically and musically really grab me. But albums as a whole, even Graceland. I remember when I first heard Graceland, I thought this is a little bit too adult for me. You know <laughs> what I mean? And it still is, even though I'm quite a bit into adultness. Kind of <laughs> is. Who are you trying to impress? <laughs> Who are you cutting out? <laughs> You know, a very accomplished album, Graceland, even though a lot of it was stolen. But anyways, <laughs> we'll get to that later in, in our Paul Simon segment. Um, but his, I don't know, his 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 music always just sounds a little bit not not meant for me. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I'm listening to this and it seems like it's meant for somebody else, doesn't it? it seems like it's meant for a, a for, late 40s guy who's got a, a $200,000 job. And, and Wall Street never really rocked and rolled. I never really rocked and rolled. It doesn't take music all that seriously, but really likes Paul Simon. If your mama don't dance and your daddy don't rock and roll, this might be for them. Now, what I what got me when I listened to this album for this last week, when we had to not had to, but when we listened to it for the show, was it's one of the few albums that starts with a ballad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which caught me I noticed that. almost the first I was thinking, second. Wouldn't there be on. a better place on the album for this yes. song? Yes, that's exactly. <laughs> I thought that within five seconds of listening to it. I thought the only album that I remember in my head, and I know there must be more, but I remember music from Big Pink has Tears of Rage, which is a ballad. And everybody said how revolutionary it was to have a very emotional ballad as the very first the song. Yeah. And they thought it was a great idea. They thought, wow, what a revolutionary idea. And they just said, no, that was actually just the first song we cut. So we put it on the first, you know, the band being the band, very understated. We there was so, no big We plan. were so high then. <laughs> yeah, the band is something else. Uh, but it really struck me like, wow, they, they kind of, I hate to use this term, but they got, I was going like, man, did they shoot their load right at the beginning, <laughs> right at the, the beginning of the album? Like, holy smokes. That'd be a good thoughtful kind of closer for maybe even on not the end of the album, but even for the end of a side. Oh, yeah. This would be, you know what? I, I hate to second guess legends like Simon and Garfunkel, but don't you think Bridge Over Troubled Water would be a great end of side one? Yeah. As you, as you, especially I, in those days when you, when you have to turn the, the album over and you're kind of awed by it and you have time to think about it. I was like, yeah, I want to hear more of this. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, they, they did start with Bridge Over Troubled Water, which is, there are, there are two absolutely brilliant, I wish I wrote them, songs from heaven on this album, which is Bridge Over Troubled Water and The Boxer. And they are absolutely perfect, but they're kind of perfect. For do two different reasons. Um, Bridge Over Troubled Water, really for, for the arrangement and the performance, which is uh, impeccable and just very, it, all, it just seems him-like. It just seems like there's a light shining, especially with Art's vocal. And and the vocal has been done by Elvis. I love Elvis's version, and Aretha Franklin is actually Paul Simon's favorite version. But it's amazing. Against those 
great singers and they're probably the two of the greatest ever i think art's voice is just perfect for this song and that's why his his version yeah, is the best he almost gives a church choir feel to it with a yes. single voice <laughs> yes he gives that kid in the choir who's singing that innocent <clears throat> and yet knowing voice that is just perfect for this song and it is a wonder to me it's it's like one of those lightning in a bottle songs but then you have it again starting off the second side with the boxer which is brilliant in its own different way in that everything in this song if you really listen to it carefully is perfect the the story itself and the words there shouldn't be one word in this song of the boxer that should be changed it's just a brilliantly lyrical song and then every instrument that comes in and you i can't really describe that build it. at the end and then the la 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 which is perfect it sounds stupid if you describe it like if you're in the studio i always think uh, you know when it gets through uh, eight bars uh, it's going to end here but it builds for another eight bars yeah. i think it's going to end here no it builds for another eight bars <laughs> <laughs> and you know what at the end it builds and and i did notice this rob it builds and it builds like you're saying, and then it comes down, yeah. which I would never think of doing. <laughs> with just the guitar and a couple of background instruments, and it's, I had never, in my, in your musical experience, in my consciousness, ever mm. thought of that before. Even though I've heard the boxer thousands of times, I had never in my consciousness thought, "Wow!" Like it went up, and you think it's going to like fade out or end on a big crescendo, and it comes down. And then it just keeps on going until it fades out. And I said, everything about this song is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> like the and it's complicated. It's complicated because there things come in, things come out. A harmonica comes in in a kind of it's, I don't know if it's a harmonica, but it's a it's a it's a maybe a woodwind instrument comes in at a certain time and then it leaves and it's just perfect. Yeah, and the like la la la's actually say something like it's your own interpretation of what it says, but to me, it, it says something. Yeah. Um, I was listening this morning, and I, and I finally I always heard it before, but uh, you know, uh, background vocals are sha na na or la la la, and li li li. <laughs> Never heard that one before. I started to think about it. And, uh, is it, there a literal it's meaning? It's kind of like one of those messages in songs that, uh, or messages in movies that they don't say like how the ending is you have to think of it yeah you have to you have to you have to give your own interpretation of what this means or what that that's what that's what the la la la's mean to me is that what's your own interpretation of whether you know that the guy in the story is content or whether this is just his way of of drowning out all his pain or what it it, it could mean a hundred things but to me it's necessary and how could you think it's necessary when somebody, when Paul just goes, no, 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 I don't know. It's a brilliant song. You know, just for those two songs alone, uh, Simon or, Gar or Paul Simon is an amazing songwriter or an, and arranger. And, you know, and I listened to this, you know, and of course there's the rest of the album. There's not a, there's not a weak song on the album. It's, it's a classic album. I'm going to give it that. I, I, it's a classic album that there is little th wrong with but other than those two songs again i just i just feel this wall of coldness like i just i just feel this it's not meant for you i don't think 
that this music touches me. And I don't know why, but maybe other people feel like like that. I don't know. Like, like I love it. Like, uh, I know this album is great. I listen to every song. I love this album, but I don't really want to play it. <laughs> it just leaves me. There seems to be a coldness to it. And there seems to me, and this may be my own opinion, a coldness to Paul Simon in general when it comes to songwriting to make it a little bit perfect and not so much emotional. That may be, it's hard to say that Bridge Over Troubled Water is not an emotional song, but I'm, I'm speaking apart from those two songs. A lot of his, a lot, especially with this album, that uh, even that you take a song like Cecilia, which is so up-tempo, to me it's almost like, I don't know, there's still a barrier there to me. There's still a barrier of, I should be really getting into this funky song, but I'm not. But I really like it. It's kind of cool. You know, that's what this album does to me. Except for those two songs, which are brilliant, is that I go, man, this song's good. Yeah, you know, it's good. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of have a similar feeling, but it's more from uh, hearing the songs so often. This one uh, is like um, Layla from Derek and the Dominoes there, where <clears throat> I've heard more than half this stuff from sources other than listening to this album. Four right. of these songs were on the Greatest Hits album. I know I've heard Baby Driver before. Uh, I remember years ago asking you about the, what's that Simon and Garfunkel wrong uh, song? Uh, did I get slandered? I get libeled. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's that song? What, what's the name of that song? I, I, I hear it on the radio. I don't know that the DJ it's he in won't a D, say. It's in a bouncy D. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, The Loneliest Boy in New York, I know I've heard somewhere. I think it was. Which about, is so amazingly. Um, Paul Simon. Uh, so amazingly autobiographical because he even calls uh, art in the song Jerry, which is what Tom and Jerry. <laughs> no, he calls him Tom. He calls him Tom, which is what his name and Tom and Jerry well, is Tom in and Mexico. Jerry. And here I am alone. And uh, how, and I don't know how you can be in the studio. Like he recorded that alone, obviously. But but Art added his background vocals when he came back from Mexico. And how do you hear that song? And kind of not be pissed off. <laughs> He's writing about me and saying, but I guess it, it, it also is very... Uh, My good friend who's coming back to do backing vocals on this has abandoned me. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly hey, the kind of thing. Gary, I wrote this song. It's about how you're a big dick. <laughs> Could you put some guitar on this, please? <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I interrupted what you were what you were kind of... You were saying that you had heard most of these. Yeah, and that's it. For that reason, I had a really difficult time judging this as an album it took about five or six listens before i finally kind of um got it together okay this is the work this is the pieces it's finished but even then it uh i the only faults i found it, it, it there were a few weeks but songs that didn't appeal to me a lot of them did two of my favorite simon and garfunkel songs are on this album they're different from your two favorites oh really <laughs> el condor pasa I'm always uh, singing that one on my way to work or at work. I'm the one giving the world its loneliest sound. <laughs> <laughs> You're the guy. That's me. <laughs> and keep the customer satisfied. I was a I like since that. I that's first a very, that one. <laughs> actually, that's a version. That's no, not a version, but that's a song that actually. Mm. Um, that one has just a bit of whimsy in it. And that, that's uh, got a bit of whimsy. That, that doesn't have coldness in it at all. <laughs> no, and the horns at the end. Uh, there's one song, I think it's either Baby Driver or that one, uh, the, the rocking kind of baritone sax playing that reminded me of 50s music. Uh, 
You know what I want to say here is I think there is some, and just what we said from The Only Living Boy in New York, there's some bitterness in this album that maybe comes across to me. Uh, because, you know, there's The Only Living Boy in New York. There's... Uh, Why don't you write me a letter? Why don't you write <laughs> me? Why don't you... Exactly. And followed by Bye Bye Love, which yeah. is almost like Bye Bye <clears throat> Artie. You know, I'm moving on. Why was that of all of all songs picked as a cover song to do? Yeah, I don't mind. I like to think, okay, they just they were doing some shows and they uh, maybe had a good night and this one song really stuck out in their minds. But and it's not to me. Maybe there was not, some other significance very, to it. It has a very cold feeling to this song, and I hate using that word over and over again because it's not extremely cold album, but I find it is. I don't think other people. I have the well, reason you know, I say bye bye love is is because they decided to put uh, reverb on the guitars, and it sounds really weird, and it sounds just cool to me. And they put re a lot of reverb on the vocals for bye bye love, and it just sounds weird, and it just sounds <laughs> like not as immediate and as as it should. And you know, a lot of this has to do with we're kind of judging this album. 50 years later actually exactly 50 years i Jeez. exactly 50 years later and I was maybe there's a maybe it, it it sounded or felt different in 1970 than it does in 2020 but um i'm telling you i just get that feeling with all paul i'm not a good judge of paul simon's music and but sometimes you have you have I, to do it sometimes you have to review music even though the person is popular, one of the most popular songwriters of all time. And I'm not just talking about Paul Simon. I'm talking about everybody has somebody who everybody just re reveres. And yet you go, I, I don't know. Everybody <laughs> connect with me as much as they do with you. They connect more with you. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. They connect more with you. I get it. But it just doesn't do much for me. It is. Tom Petty is like that for not me personally. Not firing my taste buds. People like the love they had for Tom Petty, and Tom Petty is a person. Yeah. I think was a great person, but I never. I, I like never... Tom Petty songs, and I liked uh, the albums I've heard, but uh, I just had I trouble. Want, I want more out of the music I listen to. I do. To I want. I wanted more of an emotional attachment from Tom Petty's music than I than I than I ever got in my in in his lifetime listening to his mm -hmm. music. And I never got it. And I remember I got our good friend Tom, who passed away, who we've mentioned on this show like 600 times. About a year or two before he died, he actually offered me free to go with him to Tom Petty. And I actually said, I don't, I don't really want to. <laughs> he actually offered me like just to accompany him to go to the show. Free tickets to a show. And I really wasn't excited at all. It's like, I don't know. Tom Petty's good, but he just doesn't, I don't know. I, I don't, the bother of going to a show <laughs> is for Tom Petty just doesn't thrill me. And I still feel like that, even though I, I understand completely why he's so beloved. I get that with Paul Simon, too. And it's one of the few people I do. It's you know I'm 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 in agreement with a lot of people you know, about big stars, but I, it just he just leaves me cold. And uh, I still give this have, album five stars because I think this is a classic <clears throat> album, but emotionally, it kind of leaves me cold. And it's not an album I would play a lot. I have it uh, four and a half as a personal rating, and uh, 
Partly because it's really strong through a lot of it, and uh, some of the uh, few of the slower songs, and also the arrangement of the album. Even though you know I listened to it and finally got to uh, get it as an album, it, it still felt like it was put together near the end of these two guys being together, where they kind of uh, they're almost uh, they, they wanted to finish it. They were they, maybe they were tired. I don't know. Uh, I get that feeling too. I, I think that's what's trying. I I was trying. There's, well, there's a lot a more albums that have a more cohesive feel. Yeah, to them I, I this. agree. This with struck that. me more as a collection of songs. I don't know whether that has to do with that's the way it sounds, or yeah, because or maybe we've heard these that's songs, how I perceive. Yeah, we, because we've heard at least half mm, of this album before in other in other configurations. Yeah, and that's the other thing is I you know hear it on the um, uh, the stations all the time. So that's the thing where I'm. Might go back to listen to it once in a while, but uh, not not as much as I should. But thing is, I I do love a lot of these songs on this album. Yeah, um, I give it four and a half as an album, and uh, but the songs each five stars. Now, some people <laughs> may be confused. Yeah, exactly by what you just said with four and a half fives. Some people may be confused about how I can say, or what you just said, how I can say the things I said and give it five stars, which is a classic. Is because it is. It is there is hardly anything wrong with this album, but emotionally that does it. So I give it five stars because it deserves five stars, but that doesn't mean I think of it the same as even the Carpenters when we did the Christmas show in December about the Christmas portrait album, which really touched me. This album doesn't touch me, but and I could listen to the Christmas portrait every Christmas, probably until the until I pass. Yeah. But I can't listen to this yet. I think this is a better album. It's complicated, but that's what music is. Music is complicated <laughs> when you have to describe it. You know, it really is. And I know people say, how can you give a record five stars if you like Christmas portrait better than that? Well, it's not about liking. If we did everything by just how we liked it, you know, every Alice Cooper album would be five stars. Every, <laughs> every Dylan album yeah. would be five stars. The point <laughs> is, is that it's based on more that it is when people who review albums like us, and hopefully everybody who reviews albums like us, you don't put in just one aspect of, of why an album gets the stars it does. There's several aspects involved about why an album gets this, the, the amount of stars you give it. And it's just not emotional. It's just not the arranging. It's just not the writing. You it's want to know something else? Yeah, something else. I'm not a fan of the cover. I'm not, you know what? And it's that funny. cover felt 1960s-ish, like the record company I have to, decided I have to, to put that there. It's so funny how me and Rob think that. Right? <laughs> it really is. And Rob knows that I'm a big, like, a cover should should. Grab you, grab you. You should when want to stage. look at the cover and read it all and say, "Well, look at the artwork." And uh... two things struck me about the cover. One was that I didn't like it, like you did, just the yeah. exact the exact thing that you said. And second, there's you got there's the better two of them walking, pictures. Of... Two of them walking different, like we're separating. Like it's not it's not a joyous picture. It's a it's it's a very grainy, moody. It's like they're getting off an airplane at the end of a tour. Yes, exactly. And oh. See, I don't get where people were in 1970 because it's not the album that I would go and grab and say, I want this moody picture of no, these guys breaking up. That one sold because of the music. That one not, sold. It didn't grab them in the record stores because of the there was cover. like three great, <laughs> amazing singles off it, and plus a couple of songs being played on FM radio, and it deserved it. 
it deserved the amount of uh, you know, but there is it's funny that we spent most <laughs> of this review knocking this album and still giving it four and a half to five stars. But that's 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 what you have to come across when you review is that you have huge expectations sometimes and you come across music that you know is great, but sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't connect. With it you. doesn't connect. That doesn't mean it's not great. And that doesn't mean it's not classic. And hopefully you people know what we're talking about because it yeah. happens to you. But That's what I just think. Yeah. The songs are all great. The album, uh, I would have done things differently. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not, it's just, it's just, it's just not in our ballpark. That's, you know, yeah. um, but you know. It's the only Simon and Garfunkel album we we we, we can, can possibly review, review because obviously <laughs> and they they, broke they held off making it just <laughs> just so we could put it on the show. That was thoughtful. And hey, I was worried about that. We uh, we were going to be really short for this show. And we were, oh, I shouldn't dear, have killed dear. all that time because now we're running long. But you know what? I, I love an album that that we can talk about because because that yeah. to me. Is I, my favorite albums. The albums. I hate that, running out of stuff to say. <laughs> I know, and you know what? Nobody know. Well, nobody knows this. I think we mentioned it briefly, but we did an episode where we reviewed "Welcome to My Nightmare" by Alice Cooper, oh, and that's, that's one of the we had episodes. nothing to say about it, and it was the worst episode. We never <laughs> aired it because it was ter. I think it was our worst episode we did because we loved the album. But we couldn't really describe why, because we had loved it for so long, and it had been part of our yeah. culture for so long that we really it's... had nothing to say other than, "Isn't that song great?" It sure is. How about that <laughs> other one? I like that like too. <laughs> and this this is a very captivating album, and I love albums that are have a background story that you can talk about that are conflicting. This is a great album to talk about with friends, uh, even though I think most people would say they love the album, but it's an Sorry. An end of the band album. An end of the band album. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to end on that note. Uh, This was our first episode of 1970. Maybe our last. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Rob, Rob, you know I'm kidding. We're in the Winchester (laughs) building. We don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. So we're looking forward to many more so-so episodes in the near future. (laughs) So we will uh, see you next week, everybody. Good day. I just write her off.